Well, dear sisters and brothers in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Well, this is one of those Sundays, I don't know about you, but if we have any other preachers in the room, this is the Sunday you want to be on vacation. These are not fun texts. I've checked, my, I've checked my refrigerator. I could come and check yours. I would be willing to bet a large sum of money that none of you have a refrigerator magnet that says, I have come to bring fire, and I wish that it was already kindled. Does anyone have that on their refrigerator? What happened to that meek and mild Jesus? What happened to that very gentle and kind and loving and caring Jesus? What? Where is that guy? No, not this Sunday. And then if you were paying attention to when Karen was reading, holy mackerel, the list of horrible things that happened within the Christian community in the first couple of centuries, that's what's being listed. Did you pay attention? Being sawn in half? I mean, I've had bad council meetings, but Lord... I mean, that's just a little bit further down the road, isn't it? How do we understand what Jesus is saying here? Well, I think, first of all, we need to use some of our imagination, and I need you to work with me on this. We're going to think about two different groups. First of all, I want you to think about the group that listened to Jesus' words. I truly believe he said these words exactly. Because why else would they get passed down from one generation to the next and land in the gospel? Luke was not there recording that, by the way, when Jesus said it in public. It got shared. It got passed down. So why did they do that? Why did they take those particular words from Jesus as he spoke them? So I need you to imagine how it sounded. What did they hear? When Jesus says, I have come to bring fire, and how I wished it were already kindled. Does that not sound like a call to arms? Does it not sound like Jesus perhaps might even be thinking about raising up an army and inviting people to revolt against their overlords? As you've already figured out by now, I've traveled extensively, and I've been in countries that were occupied when I was there. I spent a lovely time in Estonia, and it was an occupied country. Soviet Union troops were stationed inside that Baltic state. They hated it. They hated it. I spent time in Poland when they were trying to figure out how they might be independent and how they might get rid of those Russian troops that were lagered in those bases on their homeland. I can't imagine what it was like for the Jews to have the Roman Empire laid over the top of them with their soldiers on the street corner, their laws embedded into their community. We know for sure from all kinds of sources, Scripture being one of them, that there was this huge desire and anticipation that the Messiah was going to call forth this army and that they were going to overthrow the Romans. That's what they're hoping and waiting for. And it sure sounds like that's what's being said by Jesus. The problem is that's what they heard. I think they understood it that way. 
Certainly that's still true within the disciples as you move through the gospel. They keep hoping that Jesus is the one that will call them to arms. And on, when you hear these words, I think they think, okay, we've got it. But then I need you to think about Luke's community. Luke was hired to write the gospel. He was invited by someone who had wealth to gather all there was to know about Jesus Christ. But we know it doesn't happen immediately. And furthermore, a historic peace happens that I think changes everything. In 66, the Messiah that they've been waiting for, the one that would call them to arms, does. And the people in Israel rise up. And the governor at the time had permission, if the, if the violence got too great, that he could just withdraw, which is what they did. Took all their troops and left. And then they sent word to the emperor. And it took some time because they didn't have internet back then. But finally, the Roman legions arrived, and it took two years of bloody fighting. Horrible, unbelievably atrocious. You can read it in the book of Josephus. He was a Jewish general that was captured early, and the Roman military commander made him write the history. And in 70 AD, Jerusalem is sacked, and the revolt is put down. So how do you suppose Luke's community hear these words? They know that that was not Jesus' intent. They know for sure that is not what was going to happen, and in fact did not happen because it failed. How does it sound then when you're listening 50, 60 years later, these words of, I have come to bring fire, and I wish that it was already kindled kindled, and I wish that the baptism that I need to be baptized in was already done, I have come to bring division. For sure, within Luke's community, those divisions that Jesus is talking about is already taking place. Houses are divided. Because I think by the time that Jesus speaks to the Luke's community through Luke's gospel, what the fire is, is I've come for mercy, and I've come to bring forgiveness of sins. I've come to bring new life. I've come to die on the cross to pay the penalty, to be raised from the dead, so that you might know that death doesn't win. That is the mission of this church, of the community that I'm inviting you into. And we hear the litany in, in the book of Hebrews of all the things that people that get it are willing to, to suffer, to live that out. Those people were punished because they were following Jesus Christ, him crucified, raised from the dead. How do we hear now these words today? Throughout my entire life, I have watched as the church has quite regularly decided to have really good fights when I was a boy, my father's best friend was the Missouri Synod pastor. We ate regularly in their home and they in ours. He and my father were very close. So we had a ringside seat to the Missouri Synod's train wreck as they decided to have a really dandy fight. In fact, it got so bad that all the seminary professors except for two 
quite literally walked out in protest from what was happening. The professors were saying, you are not focusing on what Jesus Christ is inviting us to do and be about. You are having an argument about something that does not matter. And so in protest, they walked out. And guess what? They all got fired the very next day. They lost their homes because they lived in seminary housing. They had a week to move out. And then all the seminary students had to decide, are we staying or are we leaving? And no matter what you decided, it caused problems. It caused divisions within families. Some of my very best friends don't speak to some of their family because one left and the other one didn't. And we're now 40 plus years past that. We have chosen to do those kind of things regularly in our own denomination. We've had fights about women being pastors. We've had people leave. We've had families divided. We've had ongoing fights about whether or not gay, lesbian people should be welcome in our community. We can choose regularly to forget what we're about and what we're here for. The worst church fight I ever saw in my whole career was the women of the church fighting about the color of the women's carpet in the bathroom. But they weren't fighting about the color of the carpet, were they? They were fighting about who was going to be in charge, about who got the final say. They had forgotten what they were there for. We can choose at First Lutheran to have all kinds of fights. We got plenty of opportunity right now. We could have ongoing daily critiques about the tuck pointing. We got guys up there working on the side of the church. We could come and go, well, missed a spot. I think you need to go back. No, no, he did that spot fine. Or we could have fights about the atrium carpet. I think that would be a great one. It's going to last for about 15 years, and then you're going to have to replace it. You could, you could just save it up maybe for the next time. When we forget what we're here for and whose church this is, then I think we are in danger. We're in danger of having fights that make no sense whatsoever. Jesus Christ is inviting us to come, come near to the fire, to be warmed by it, to be enlivened by it, and to be sent out by it. That I have come so that you might have life and have it abundantly. When that is the center of the church, we are the finest community in the whole world. We're inviting and loving and caring and we're willing to risk and to love because we know who's at the center. So this week I would invite you to hear the promise that is Jesus Christ, to hear the promise of invitation to come be near the fire that has already been kindled and in fact is emblazoned, to stand by the one who invites us into new life. Amen.